Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Um, the title of today's message is Warriors. We're going to keep it in the series that we've called Fighting for Our Families. And um, I want you to know this morning that if you're in this church and you don't have a dad, maybe you had a bad one, maybe he has passed away, I want you to know that there are fathers in this house. There are men who can stand in the gap with you and for you. There are men in this church who understand what it is you're walking through and going through and want to be your coach, want to be your confidant, they want to help you get to where it is that God wants you to go. That's in the family of a church. And young men, young women, you will never find that in any church if you don't put down roots. See, you got to be in a family to belong to family. And you got to be in a church to belong to church. But when you do, you get to encounter the covering that comes from being a part of the body of Christ. And what an amazing thing that is. Uh, I called the message today warriors because they have declared war on men. Now, some of you might start to write this off as political right off the bat. And I just want to say once again that um, I am in the flesh an absolute redneck, conservative, libertarian kind of guy. My political opinions, I do try to keep under wraps. But today's message is not about politics. Today's message is about the spiritual reality because the Bible tells us that we are not to be unaware. or We are, yeah, we are not to be unaware of the schemes of the devil. And the devil has always declared war on men. From the very beginning of creation, he was declaring war on men. But in this age right now, we're seeing a new kind of warfare being waged. We're living in the day of what they're calling toxic masculinity. The present pop culture of this world has begun to demonize what a man is. They've begun to question whether or not that's a qualification for anything good at all. They say that as men, you have no say in abortion. They say that as men, you have no say in parenting once divorce has happened. You're too rough, you're too mean, you're too violent, you're too toxic. Men have had their time, and that time should be over. Now, of course, this isn't the message maybe that you hear every day until it is. And it just takes moving into the right parts of our world to realize that these are the things being said. Yes, in the physical realm, but more importantly, men and women in the spiritual realm. Because remember, it's not that we're wrestling We're not contending with flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And they want to question so many things that God has said should not be questioned. There are pockets of society in our world where men are honored. There are nations where men are honored in cultures and churches that don't see it the way the modern left does. But in our part of the world, where we live, there are those who think they know better. I can't help but see the irony in this scenario. Some people don't want men to be strong, but they still want the strength of men to be present. Listen to that. Some people don't want men to be strong, 
but they still want their strength to be present. You know, to do the plumbing, climb down into the septic tank, haul out the garbage, maintain the infrastructure that runs our world. And yeah, I'm aware that there are amazing women who are in trades and in places and in business who do some of these things. But as Jordan Peterson puts it so well, he says, what in the hell are we going to do without men? And that's a fair question. Church, what are we going to do without men? Because I think a world without men starts to look a little bit more like hell in a very literal way. Please don't think for a moment today that talking about the strength and necessity of men somehow diminishes the strength of women. It doesn't. Masculinity does not take anything away from femininity. But those two things working together are an unconquerable force. And this is why the enemy has long tried to take the knees of masculine out. Insecurity, fear, worry, strain, stress, anxiety, all of these things thrown in our faces wherever we go from time to time, sometimes more, sometimes less. But today, being a day to celebrate fathers and also men, I want to share some thoughts about being a man today. Hopefully, hopefully I do that so that women will appreciate and young men will aspire to be better men. I can be the first to acknowledge the many flaws and dysfunctions of men in society. There are a lot. Men are not perfect by any stretch. They never have been, whether we're talking about humanity or the gender. But I just thought I would draw your attention to a few statistical facts this morning. Did you know that there are more men than women in prison? Worldwide, the ratio is 14.5 men for every one woman in prison. Some parts of the world, it can be as high as in the hundreds to one. I believe I even saw one statistic, it was 800 to one. Men in prison versus women. Did you know that in suicide, three out of four times it's a man? And that's interesting to me because by the same statistics, women actually deal with depression at a greater rate than men do. Yet men are the ones who are ending their lives prematurely. Um, I've often told my wife whether it was something we were dealing with in counseling or something we saw in the news or whatever, but often I've actually said to her, babe, you never want to know what's going on in the mind of a man. It, it actually wouldn't help you. My, honestly, I've <laughs> tried to explain to her without throwing all of us under the bus that it would make you run away in disgust sometimes. Or it would infuriate you. It would exasperate you. We tend to think that that men are simple 
in the collaboration of what they are and who they are and how, have they, how they have become. But the truth is, is, well, they're as complicated as any other person. You know, I know that some of the things I'm saying can sound ominous. But just appreciate this morning the reality that men live in too. Because men certainly do live in a reality. And there are bad men in the world. Very bad men. But this is what I would say to our church. The absence of good men will not change that. No matter how many bad men you have in this world, taking away the good ones that are left in it won't help. And so I say to the men of our church, I don't care if your masculinity used to be toxic. What I would say to you today is that your masculinity needs to become reflective of the one who made you because without masculinity in this world, we are done for. We are done for. So men, I need you to man up. I need you to report for duty. I need you to put your hands on the plow. I need you to rediscover what it feels like to have calluses. And I need you to love with all your heart. I need you to feel to the depths of your being. I need you to report for duty in this manner because this is what God is calling us to. To be warriors. To fight. Not flesh and blood until the time that that's appropriate. But right now, in the spiritual realm, in this church, for these women, for these children, fight. What about that word, two words, good men? I'm not even sure anymore what it is that makes a man good. I know many good men. I love many good men. I would say that I know them as well as I could know another person. But I think that the discovery of what makes a good man is actually found when we walk out the will of God in our life and do the things that he's told us to do. Even when the teachers of the law came to Jesus and they called him rabbi, they said, good teacher, Jesus' response to them was interesting. Only God is good. And even though we can admit that probably only God is truly good, we still feel the need as men to be good men, don't we? And I don't know if you think about that or lot or not, but I, I do. I think about it when I'm alone and when I can't sleep at night. I think about what it means to be better than I am. I think about what it means to improve other people around me. What is a good man. And my mind immediately raced this morning as I was writing this message. Not because I neglected it, but because we actually had a guest speaker booked for this morning. And his wife fell and broke her back this week, so they couldn't be with us. And so as I was pulling this together and I was thinking about this, this good man thought that God had dropped in my heart, my mind immediately raced to Micah 6.8. This is what it says, Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. Sometimes we need to stop undervaluing the way the Holy Spirit speaks to us and just realize that sometimes 
leaders, pastors, people in general say things like, well, Lord, what is a good man? And God's answer kind of, I feel like there's a smirk on his face and he answers that question. Well, man, this is what is good if you want to be a good man. Here's what it says. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Three words, justice, kindness, and humility. I think we get these words in general speak. I think we even might use these words in some of our conversations. We might even practice these words to some level of understanding and ability. And then again, we might not. I'm not all that sure that we always do. I'm not even sure that I always do justice, kindness, and humility all that well. But I thought I would open up and see what the deeper things in God's Word said. And the way we do that is we look up the things in the original language as one way of doing it. And I looked in the Hebrew and got definitions for these three words, interpretations of these three words. And the Hebrew word for justice here is actually judgment. Judgment. As in, meaning as in, to sit in the seat as a judge. To decide a case, to process and litigate something as if it is before a judge. Rectitude. That is morally correct behavior or thinking. To process in such a way. To pronounce a sentence, but to also have the foresight to make a plan. So when we read Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice. To do justice, man, is not to sit and dominate conversation. It's not to sit and give ruling. It's to give consideration and to ponder and to create opportunities and plans to move forward. I don't know that we think about this very often, but a judge has two jobs in a courtroom. The first one is what we most often think of. A judge presides over a case and does what? He decides who is guilty and who is innocent. Doesn't he? But what else does a judge do? There's a second part to what the judge does. The judge is also responsible for the act of sentencing. And in the case of a wrongdoing, the judge will apply a sentence that must be followed out. Now, that might be prison time. It might be fines. It could be a lot of different things. But there is a sentence. There is a way back for that individual into society. There is a way of redemption. The other thing a judge does in pronouncing sentencing is also, he also has the power to make reparation to a victim. And it's important that we understand this because it's not just enough to say Micah 6.8 says that i got to do justice. i got to do justly. It's actually a lot more complex than that. Fathers, when you, when you discipline your children... It's not just about giving them a swat on the butt or a scolding. What's our heart when we discipline our children? It's so that they won't make the same mistake again. It's so that they'll do it different the next time. It's so that they'll become better men than we are. That's what it means to be a judge. And it means that whether you're a father in a spiritual house like a church, or whether you're a literal father in your own home or family, or whether you're a father to an adopted group of people, or whether you're a business owner... 
It's still the same. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what God requires of you is to do justly. The next one is kindness. I can't help it. I was, this is one of those memory verses that I learned in the King James, the New King James Version probably. So it's, hey, he's shown the old man what is good and what, the Lord, what does the Lord require of you to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That word kindness and mercy in the Hebrew, strangely enough, are interchangeable. So this word kindness, and I actually appreciate for our instruction that it follows and also qualifies judgment. Because judgment without kindness is the wrong kind of judgment. See, God is the supreme ruler. He is the supreme judge. But the Bible promises, it assures us, that it's actually his kindness, not his judgment, that brings us to repentance. And so it's no accident that God is saying, oh man, I'm going to show you how to be a good man. You're going to do justice, but you're also going to love kindness. Because when you are just as a leader, as a father, as a man, and your justice is motivated by a love of kindness, it's a lot harder to do this the wrong way. Knowing that it's his kindness. I, we had the verse, a verse from Psalms posted above our door as a family for all those years where our kids bicker. And they still bicker even though they are too old to bicker anymore. But, uh, but, but the verse was, and I, I, I feel bad because I can't remember the address at the moment, but it says that the Lord is right in all his deeds and kind in everything he does. He's righteous in all his acts, in all his works he's righteous, but he's still kind in everything he does. And we used to use that to try, to try to form the attitude of our kids a little better. Hey, you can be right, Logan. <laughs> but don't forget that when God is right, he's always kind. And kind doesn't mean, oh, sweetie. Kind sometimes is grabbing somebody by the collar of their shirt. Or the scruff of their neck to pull them back from running out in front of a train. Um, I only dated a couple of girls in my whole life, and one of them in high school, a uh, lovely girl, um, but we were on a trip and, uh, for, for a concert chorale band, a music trip to compete in a national competition. I believe we were down in Vancouver, and uh, we were all out on the street, a large group of us, and uh, she went to step out onto the street, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw uh, an E-train, um, yeah, electric train, that's what they were, flying towards her. I reached out and I grabbed her by the arm or the hair or whatever I could. I don't even remember what part of her I grabbed. And I jerked her back. And literally, that, the, the train passed inches from her face. Now, for context, had there been no train there, anybody who saw me reach out and grab her would have said that I was abusive. Because it was actually a violent response on my part. To reach out as fast without thinking, with no, with no care or concern for what marks I could leave on that person, I reached out and I snatched her back from where she was going. Because she would have been hit by the train. And see, it's the context of the train almost killing her that proves I was being kind, not mean. But you understand the subtle differences we face in life, men. You have to be aware of what you're doing, and let kindness inform your justice. 
so that your motivation remains something that is pure. So that your heart remains pure before God and before your wife and before your kids. And you're not going to get this right on the first try, I promise you. Because I've been trying for 17 years now as a father. I've been trying for 21 years and a bit as a husband. And you want to know something? I'm still not there. But fortunately, I'm not being graded on my performance at this time. You see, I'm in the stage of existence that God has created called the perfecting stage. I'm not perfect, but by the grace of God, you and I are being perfected. And my friends, you need to let that inform your identity a little more often. Because in fact, you are a miserable, utter, and complete failure at many things. But you're also a son of God who is day by day, moment by moment, just a little bit at a time, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And you cannot forsake that process. Because it's what God is showing you to do justly, to love mercy, to love kindness. Kindness in the Hebrew... (laughs) means favor, good deeds, loving kindness, mercy, pity, reproach, redeeming from wickedness. Uh, I mean, the, the amazing thing is that word kindness in Scripture over and over and over again applies to God's kindness towards us and very rarely the other way around. And so what's important for you and I to remember is that kindness cannot be informed by this world. The, 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 the kindness of this world is not a good teacher. But the kindness of our Creator is. And so don't be fooled by the kindness of the world because the kindness of the world might look like it's trying to pull you back from being hit by a train, but really what it's looking for is a photo op to glorify itself. I want to be kind the way God is kind. And I want to be merciful the way God is merciful. Because that way is going to be right in the end. And I just need you to be aware in the times that we're in, kindness according to this world is not kindness at all. Well, I didn't grab her because I didn't want to tear her shirt. And it's just unfortunate that the train killed her. That's the kindness of the world. Naturally, Supernaturally, I should say, we're called to something greater. And then finally we come to humility, which is the word everybody loves. Walking humbly. Yeah, I get it. I'm not supposed to be proud. Guys, if humility was the absence of pride, wouldn't everything look a lot different in the world? I I think it's a misnomer. It's a misunderstanding that we have. We think that Humility is the absence of pride. I can be incredibly pious and also be incredibly proud. Both in a sinful way and in a righteous way. But let me use this example. I can walk in humility. I can give credit to everyone else. But in any way, would that make me less proud of my sons and daughters? See, humility doesn't have the power to take away from me that which I can be legitimately joyful of. 
And we have this tendency to kind of misconstrue God's Word because we don't take the extra time to read just a little deeper into it, to get just a little more in understanding, to actually incline our ear and our heart to what God was actually saying when He said this to His people long ago. Humility, which that Hebrew word translates really as modest or humble, it doesn't just stop there. In the most literal way, that Hebrew word for humility actually means to humiliate. Now this is where I'm going to lose most of you who don't trust me at this point. I don't want to be humiliated. I get that. Nobody wants to be humiliated. But just listen to what God's Word is actually saying. Man, hear my heart. Hear, no, Okay, let me just say it this way. I love you. And God wants you to walk in humiliation. We don't like that word. We don't like humble very much, but we tolerate it because it seems spiritual. We don't like the word uh, humility because we understand the word humility to mean that it's going to require something, some sacrifice or something on our part to kind of lower ourselves. But when we change that, very, it's the same word every time, but now we change it to this form called humiliate. And suddenly we're like, no, we don't believe in shame. Ooh, shame is bad. Shame is bad. True story. But then why does God's word say he wants us to walk? He has shown thee, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love kindness, and to walk in humiliation with your God. True story. I don't want to be humiliated. Well, don't talk like that, first of all. Be a little more manly when you whine. You know what I'm saying, guys? Well, I don't want to be humiliated. That's better. I know it might be hard for you to understand, but if you could just trust Jesus. As I was contemplating that little twist in my plot this morning, you know, being super spiritual, hearing from God, able to pull a message together, just a couple days' notice, my plot. I get to this part, and I'm like, man, alive, that's one of these things you kind of just want to ignore it in the notes. Because it's hard for me to believe that God wants us to walk in humiliation. But I want you to understand something that is profoundly true. Many verses in the Bible support that. I'm even going to say as a doctrine. We can call it the doctrine of humiliation. And if you just think about it for a moment, I'm going to go to a text to show you, but if you think about it for a moment, what else does it mean when the Bible invites you every day to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Is that a glorifying act or a humiliating act? Well, honestly, it's a humiliating act. If you really understand what it means to take up a cross, uh, what about crucifying yourself to sin? Crucifying yourself to sin. See, we spiritualize this and make something that God intended for our humility, our humility, our humiliation. We make it about our spiritual pride, and in that we become religious, and we miss the entire point of what God is trying to work in our lives. Crucified with Christ, yet I live. Put to death the old nature. 
These are acts of humiliation. And what comes to my mind, again, this morning, I'm like, Lord, what do I do with that? Immediately, the Holy Spirit drops a verse in my head. It's Matthew 21, 44, and Jesus also says these same words in the Gospel of Luke. And he's talking to the religious leaders about the stone that they've rejected, but here's what he says. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. That's Matthew 21, 44. The way I memorized that many, many years ago, so that I remembered it was Jesus speaking about himself, was this. Well, whoever falls upon the sun will be broken. But whoever the sun falls upon will be crushed to powder. And there are two kinds of humiliation. There is the sort of humiliation that finds us in our life when we're walking tall and walking proud and we slip on a banana peel and fall down a flight of stairs. Or in Amy's case, once upon a time, falling down a flight of stairs, holding Jacob when he was a baby, landing at the bottom of those stairs, holding the baby above her head like a true and triumphant mother with her legs spread wide open and Tyson standing there looking at her dress, which was way out of place. Wearing Spanx, fortunately. <laughs> See, that's one way humiliation finds us, isn't it? And that's really not a humiliating story for my wife. We, we love it and we laugh about it. <laughs> for the sake of my analogy, babe, you just have to work with me today. What's the other, what's the other kind of humiliation, though? What's the other kind of humility? Well, according to what I shared with you in Luke, there's two ways humility, brokenness. And make no mistake, humility is brokenness. Humiliation can happen to you, or humiliation can be chosen by you. Now, I'm not talking about insecurity. I'm not talking about a lack of understanding that causes you to be in bondage to shame. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about the willful act of a man today. Ladies, next Mother's Day, I'm going to nail you the same message. How about that? But the act of a man who says, I'm going to allow myself to be made low so that I can walk with God. Because the haughty, the proud in spirit don't get to walk with God. Well, Pastor Trav, how do you know that's true? I know it's true because when Jesus confronted the rich young ruler, what did he say to him? Well, you need to keep the laws. And he had the audacity to tell Jesus, oh, I'm perfect in the law. Kept it all. Jesus, knowing his heart, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up the ante on you then. If you're so good at keeping the law, the next thing I want you to do, young, young rich man, want you to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then what? Come and follow me. And the rich young man, the Bible says, the rich young man turned away sadly, for he was a man of great wealth. Please understand, men, the proud of spirit cannot walk with Jesus. I don't think it's possible. We must become broken by his goodness, by his grace, by his kindness, by his righteous judgments of our life. 
so that we can be reassembled, conformed into the likeness of the Son, Jesus. And this is why Scripture over and over again can invite us, without taking away from the miraculous work of what the cross has done, Invite us over and over again to be broken, to be humbled, to be torn down, to be poured out like a drink offering. To be pressed, but not crushed. Persecuted, but not abandoned. To be struck down, but still not destroyed. See, that is the working of humiliation in the life of a man who loves God. I don't relish the thought of whatever will come next into my life that will bring me into that kind of humility. But I've been on this earth long enough to know that it won't be that much longer till it happens again. But here's the truth. The choice is mine. I can have Jesus and I can fall on him and be broken. Or I can choose the alternative. And I can be stubborn. And I can choose my own way. And because of his great love for me, he can fall on me and crush me to powder. I hope that I don't have to say it, but I still will. Option A is better than option B. Option A, being broken, is better than option B, being crushed. And it's one of those amazing graces that God has in our life that we can choose. We actually can choose to deal in our own lives, to deal in our own relationship with God in such a way that we break upon Him rather than having Him come to break us. It's a really simple message today. As men, the answer to many of our world's problems in the presence of Jesus, is the presence of Jesus revealed in and through men who fear him? That's the answer to many of our problems. In fact, it might, in an indirect way, be the answer to every problem. Just a world full of men who do justice, who love kindness, and truly walk in humility, in humiliation before God. Who fear him. But because they fear him, who get to walk in the shadow of the Almighty. Who, who get to have their hands strengthened for battle and trained for war. Who understand the value of prayers offered in righteous fervor. See, all of these are promises of God in the lives of his people. But fellas, this means that you and I have to change. We have to change. And I've had to change. I've had to change so many things over the last 20-some years of my life. I can't even keep track anymore of what I've changed. More recently, in the last three or four years... I've made significant changes to myself for the sake of what God wants to do in our church. 
Now, these were optional for me. I need you to know that. And I can't say that God would or would not continue to bless this or that. But what I know is, is the one who made me placed an opportunity in front of me and said, do you want to be humiliated or do you want to be in humiliation? You get to choose which way this goes down. So I began to make changes. And my wife started to notice. And my friends started to notice. And you might be trying to guess what kind of changes I made. I can tell you this. I don't worship really any differently than I ever have. I don't read my Bible differently than I ever have. Those weren't the things I changed. But I did change the things that affected my capacity as a leader, as a father. As someone who is expected to lead. What did I do to do this? Well, I hired a coach. That was one of the most profound and hard things to do. Because pride, in my, in my pride, that was horrible to have to do. Why would I need a coach? And you've probably heard me talk to you about why we all need coaches. If Connor McDavid, the greatest hockey player on the planet, even though he can't win a Stanley Cup, <laughs> needs a coach to play hockey then why wouldn't I need a coach to do almost anything else? True story. You might think you don't need it, but you do need it. You do need it. I, uh, I make sure and I check in regularly with my friends who can actually offer me counsel and help me understand what they're seeing, sometimes with just a look. That's how known I am by people. And no, not every one of you knows me that way, but there are people sitting in this room who know me. They know my, de my deepest and darkest parts. They know my deep struggles. And that intimacy that's created, see, what that is is that's walking in humiliation to prevent a deeper humiliation. And I've publicly shared some of that struggle with you as a church. When I see friends, colleagues in ministry losing their ministries, having affairs, having outbursts that cost them everything, guys, it's a lack of a willingness to fall on Jesus. And in the end, for the sake of a soul, Jesus has to fall on them. Men, if you don't show your boys how to do this, they will not know how to do this. Well, Pastor Trav, it's your job to teach them. No, it's a part of my job to help you. Guys, if you don't teach your sons how to fall... They'll never learn how to fall. And the likelihood of them getting back up after they fall goes down every single time they remain untaught. I got friends who are so honest with me that they challenge me with a look or even just a few words. It doesn't take much for me to know how they feel about what I am or what I'm doing. 
See, because all the financial and educational and the opportunity in the whole wide world won't ever replace the value in a child's life of a father who does justly, loves kindness, and walks in humility, and who does these three things God's way. This isn't a call today to be more spiritual. In fact, if you're a spiritual kind of religious thinking person, I want to invite you today to hear this message and become significantly less spiritual. Become less spiritual so that you can become more authentic. Because when your spirituality comes authentically out of what Jesus is doing in your life, your religion will not be nearly as offensive to the heart of God. And it won't just be a practice for the sake of a practice, but it'll be an understanding. As King David began to write, I've hidden your word on my heart so that I won't sin against you. So many people today want to hide God's word on their heart so they can check a box. That's not why we read the Word of God. We don't read the Word of God to gain knowledge. Knowledge gained by reading of God's Word is a byproduct. The real value of reading God's Word comes from the change in your spiritual being. Because that is directly where the authority of God's Word is designed to cut. The Bible says that God's Word is like a two-edged sword. And it has the ability to divide between the joint and the marrow. But more importantly, that's an analogy of the soul and the Spirit. When we read God's Word, we need to read it as those who want to walk in humility and to love justice and to love mercy, to love the kindness of God. So don't be more spiritual. Become willing to change. Men of God, Become willing to change, become willing to grow, become willing to learn something new about yourself and start the process of becoming a real man. A real man. I can tell you this this morning. If that process starts to take you out of church, it's not the right process. I can tell you that if that process starts to create distance between you and your kids, it's not the right process. I can tell you that if it keeps you from praying for and over your wife, it's not the right process. Warriors train constantly. And my invitation, my hope, my message for the men of our church this morning is not just to be a warrior, but to be a warrior who is expertly trained, who is self-led, self-disciplined, self-motivated, not by internal and personal desire, but by those things that God has put in your heart to do in your time on this earth. God wants you to father the heck out of your children. Actually, that works. God wants you to literally father the hell out of your children. He wants you to love the hell out of your wife. Well, Pastor, I'm uncomfortable with that. You should get comfortable with this because if the kingdom of heaven is here, the kingdom of hell is trying to be here too and the church is designed to tear down the gates of hell. That's the war. This is the battle we're called to. This is the fight that we're in, church. And if you're going to fight for your family, you best become equipped to fight. 
And I don't care if you have four kids or you're not even married and have no kids this morning. Today is the day to say, Lord, I'm going to start today. I'm going to renew it today. I'm going to give it up for you today. Jesus, some of you, the most important decision you're going to make today is whether or not you're going to fall on Jesus or have Jesus fall on you later. Because that's where it's at. Guys, there's always room to improve. There's always strength to grow and always passion to discover. Some of you desperately need to rediscover passion in your life. This is not the time to run away and hide, but to strengthen yourself and to strengthen your brothers, to set aside vanity and pride and silly spiritual arguments because we're facing a battle and what we are fighting for matters. you stand, I want to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to hear me clearly. Jesus, not his disciples, not some prophet, Jesus Christ himself, the historical real person, said, that there is no way to the Father in heaven except coming through Him. And I need you to know this morning, wherever you're at, that Jesus Christ is the only way that you will ever have peace with God. And what is required of you to have a relationship with Jesus is simply this, that you make Him the boss and that you turn from what He calls sin. Well, Pastor, I don't know what sin is. That's okay. Make Jesus your boss, and then do what the boss says, and you won't have to worry so much about what is and what isn't sin. It's really beautiful that way. But you see, in faith, you need to give him your life today. We're going to pray really quickly together. Our prayer team is going to come forward. And if you have some issue in your life, if you have sickness in your body, if, if your relationship, your marriage is in trouble, you're having problems with kids. I don't care what it is. Come and let someone pray with you. Let someone carry that burden into the presence of our Heavenly Father with you. Borrow a little faith from somebody here this morning and receive a miracle that God has for you. Guys, there are miracles happening week after week in this church, and I can't even tell you about them because I have to wait for the people who are experiencing the miracles to start talking. I'm not allowed. It's like a, like a pastor-parishioner confidentiality thing or something. Man, do I want to tell you some of the stories. If you need to respond this morning, please do. Now let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every man standing in this room today, for everyone that's still watching online, even the ones who are going to watch later this week, Lord. And God, I pray that as we have heard what your word says this morning, that it would, it would burrow, that it would find uh, depth in our heart. God, that the soil would be scattered over it, that the moisture would come on top of that seed, that that seed would die and begin to rot, and that out of it, new life would come. Jesus, we need you. I need you. Every man in this room needs you. And so, Father, today, for as much as it depends on us, by the act of our will, we say, Lord, we want to be the men that you've called us to be. We want to move and 
make war and make peace and love and live with your heart. Holy Spirit, would you please help us? Would you put your finger today on anything that you need to? Guide me in the way I need to go. I'm asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.